Gazette Newspapers presents the Parting Shots Podcast. The Parting Shots Podcast is brought to you by Trophy Case, the app created for athletes by athletes. Downloaded today, available for iOS and Android users in your app store. Now, here's your host, Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor, Ken Schott. Thank you, Scott Geezy, and welcome to the Parting Shots Podcast. Available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Subscribe today. Thanks for joining me. We have another great show for you. We'll look back at the New York Yankees season with Chrissy Ackert of the New York Daily News. And I'll speak with Union Football senior linebacker Evan Gillen about the team's 6-0 start. But first, playoffs will kick off in Section 2 high school football this weekend for Classes A, B, and C. And to help us break down the postseason and talk about some of off-field news, is Daily Gazette Sports Editor Mike Kelly. Mike, welcome back. Ken, thanks for having me. Well, let's start with the unfortunate news off the field uh, last weekend as Boston Spot coach Jason Onsman was arrested for DWI on Saturday. School places him on uh, indefinite leave. Uh, first, he's running the program for the first time as the head coach and guided them to a 5-2 and two record. And a second-place finish in the Class A Grasso division. Uh, the, they will host third seed in Amsterdam on Friday. Assistant coach Greg O'Connor is going to run the team for now. Seems like an unfortunate situation and a big distraction uh, for the team come uh, playoff time. I mean, how do they overcome this? Yeah, so I think to start, Greg O'Connor, somebody who's been a head coach in the past, had uh, you know he, he was the head coach at Schuylerville for a number of years. So there is some experience there. Um, it's really tough, though, because this is a team that, um, you know, I saw them, uh, you know, I mean, a couple times this year, uh, and I know our other uh, high school sports player, Jim Schultz, saw them a couple times. And the thing that really came through is the kids on this team really responded to Coach Onsman. Um, so not having him there on Friday night, um, you know, it's not something that uh, this isn't something that's not going to mean anything for this team. This is going to mean something on Friday night that they don't have their leader that, you know, led them to, you know, the program's best season in a few years here. Um, and you know, I don't th- I think this is one of those ones where we have no idea how this plays out. This is a game that they should win Friday night. Um, but there's a lot of distractions now, you know, around the team that, the, you know, the school did act swiftly to try to negate most of them. Um, but, you know, Friday night when they get out there and your head coach isn't on the sideline, um, it's hard to ignore that. I mean, we, in sports, we talk about distraction. I mean, the pros, I mean, sometimes they're able to put those distractions aside. We're talking 16, 17, 18-year-old kids. This, this seems like a tougher situation for them knowing their head coach is not there. Yeah, because there's, I mean, the difference is there's only a few coaches on that sideline. And this is, you know, the the high school football coach, you know, despite what a lot of places might say, you know, mainly they run the offense, they run the defense, they run the special teams. And, you know, there's a few programs where maybe there's some more delineation, um, but it's going to affect them in all, you know, all three phases of the game. It's going to affect them, you know, in a sense, in, in the leadership sense, obviously, um, you know, and it's uh, you wonder just morale wise what it does for that group because they just won last week. They're feeling really great. They're going in the playoffs. We're going to the Super Bowl. And then the weekend comes and, you know, the uh, you know, I would imagine that it's kind of deflating uh, to have this situation right before, you know, your first big playoff game. If your coach Greg O'Connor puts you in his shoes, what do you tell the team uh, heading into Friday's game? I don't, I think that you, I I think if you're, if you're in that locker room, (laughs) if you're in that huddle, 
um, you do everything you can to kind of ignore it um, and just try to carry on, focus on the day to day, you know, of that. I think that, you know, it's not uh, you can't use it as a rallying cry. I, I don't I don't think that's it. Um, so I think this is we need to go about our business and remember, you know, kind of what got us to this point, which is that they play really solid, physical, fundamental football. And you just focus on Friday night, focus on Friday night. It's good. Obviously, there's probably be a lot of media attention at this game. I mean, can that be distracting the kids if, if there's a lot of TV and uh, newspaper reporters hanging around practices this week? <laughs> I think that they've had a lot of attention all year with the success that they had. The, I, I don't know if that would necessarily, you know, matter a ton to, to these kids. Um, you know, I think that they've been able, you know, they, they've had experience dealing with that throughout the year for obviously for, for a different reason. Um, but, you know, I think when you get to Friday night, you know, they're going to play the game. They're not going to be interviewed during the game or anything like that. Um, that I, I would imagine the game is probably going to be the easiest part this week for them, um, you know, once they get into it. What about the matchup? Uh, the matchup, I mean, the matchup is one. Uh, Amsterdam has an explosive offense. Um, Boston Spa is really sound everywhere. Um, you know, in a normal week, um, I, if I were picking games this week, which I'm not, uh, I would pick Boston's pie in this one. Uh, I still will. I think that they're, I think that this is a really good team that even with the stuff that's going on around them, um, I mean, I think that they're going to be fine Friday night. Um, you know, maybe after that, it gets a little bit more interesting. Um, the matchup though, I, I think Boston spa, not that Amsterdam's, you know, not a good team or anything like that, but I think they like this matchup because of the way the styles, you know, meet and clash together. Um, so I, I think they like it. And the other, some other classic games, Queensbury will be taking on LaSalle. Yeah, and that's, I mean, LaSalle just came off a tough one with Amsterdam. Uh, Queensbury has been so solid all year. I think LaSalle's uh, not your typical four seed. Um, but that should be one where, I mean, Queensbury should be moving on, you know, relatively easily just based off how good they've been all year. And uh, we see Scotia's in the playoffs and they get Troy and good luck to Scotia. Good. <laughs> <laughs> Troy, I mean, Troy's been really good. Scotia, though, is, I mean, their second half of the season, I mean, they showed a lot of improvement. Um, they still haven't beat one of those, you know, top teams. And, you know, they get a really they get a shot to go do it. Um, you know, you get to the playoffs as a four seed. You, you know what you're going to be up against. Um, Troy, Troy, though, is I mean, Troy's very good. Um, be surprising if they uh, if they're not uh, advancing from that one. Three time defending Class A champion Burnt Hills Boston Lake's going to have something unusual. They're going to open the playoffs on the road. They go to April Park. Yeah, I mean, April Hills lost their last two games, including uh, last Saturday's game against Queensbury. Seems like a tough road for them. I, was, I say I was looking at it. Burn Hills goes to Averill Park that, you know, in some past years that, you know, you would think that's a final. Let's say Burn Hills wins that one. They go to Queensbury. That's definitely been a final in recent years. Let's say they win that one. They probably would play Troy. I mean, that's how the seating would work out. Um, That's, you know, the the road for them is three championship caliber games. Um, Extremely tough. If there's an area program that can do that, it's probably Burn Hills. So who do you like Burn Hills, Averill Park? I think Burn Hills gets it done. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, this is the one where, I mean, really a coin toss game. Um, the thing with Burn Hills, uh, they've lost a couple games in a row now. It's really hard for me to believe they're going to lose three in a row. You, um, so I, I see them getting that one. And you like Balls to Spa? I like both. <laughs> we're, we're doing all the picks, yeah, sure. Yeah. I, I like Troy to advance, and they'll play Boston Spa in the semis. That would be that would be my pick, and I would say Queensbury plays Burn Hills in the other semi and I. 
Okay. Last week when we talked about Class B, we talked if Shamat beat Holy Trinity, there'd be chaos. Well, we got chaos. We had a three-way tie for the Class B, and uh, Shamat ends up getting the number one seed. Yep, Shamak is the one seed, just to lay it out. Shamak's the one seed, Holy Trinity is the two seed, Cobal Skills the three seed, all those teams tied record-wise uh, within the division. And Shamak will get Hudson Falls on uh, Friday night, number four seed. Yeah, and that one, I mean, that's two rugged <laughs> teams. Um, I, I'll skip ahead. I, I think yeah. Shamak, they're the one seed, they're the one seed for a reason. I, I think that one's, um, I think we can safely pencil them into the semifinals. Holy Trinity, uh, you know, with the loss, that was the first loss of the year. They will be home against Broad Island Perth, number three seed. Yeah, and so, you know, to go back, Holy Trinity last week didn't have a few of their players, um, you know, a few cute, a few key players um, for the first half of that Shaman game. They were suspended for, uh, I think it was like a school conduct code violation. Um, so, so they lose last week. They were down big at halftime about those kids. Those kids come back and play in the second half. It's a more competitive second half. This Holy Trinity team at full strength, which we think they will be for this weekend, um, to me they're still in, you know, it's them and Glens Falls. Um, and uh, the weird part now is them and Glens Falls is probably a semifinal. Yeah. That would be, that would be an interesting matchup. Uh, but can't look ahead, obviously. The coaches don't look at like, right. like, like we do. Now, so. Hey, though, <laughs> let's look ahead, though. Cause, so it's because it's Glens Falls versus Hudson. It's Holy Trinity versus Broughton Perth. They probably both win. the Glens Falls and Holy Trinity probably both win those games. That semifinal is a state championship caliber game. It's mm -hmm. not It's not a Section 2 championship caliber game. That's a state final caliber game. And uh, Cobalt School, number three out of the Ryanford Division, plays North Division, number two, Skylerville. Yeah, and these teams just played a couple weeks ago. Um, Skyler, or, yeah, Skylerville won that game. It was actually at Cobalt Skill. So now they get that game at home. Um, you know, kind of similar to Shalmont versus Hudson Falls. That should be a really physical game. Um, and I, I would take Skylerville in it. Okay. Uh, Class C, Stillwater. It's the class of Class C. A big win. Uh, you covered that game against Fonda last Friday. How impressive is Stillwater right now? Yeah, complete domination. I really thought that Fonda was going to be able to – I knew Stillwater was going to be able to score on Fonda with the way they play. I thought Fonda was going to be able to do more offensively uh, against Stillwater. So I was really impressed with the Stillwater defense, um, only giving up the seven points. Um, Stillwater, you know, they're just they're, – they're very good at what they do. They run the ball. They run the ball very well. They didn't complete a pass in that game that I saw, and they scored 45 points. And that's, you're taking Stillwater, obviously. That yeah, one. so I get, we've transitioned into yeah. – I'm, I'm just going to pick every game. I like it. Yeah, I would take Stillwater to beat Granville. Same side of that, bra of that bracket. Well, we, is, don't, we, don't, uh, we don't have the five games. To right, yeah. That, so we got, we're, we're well, at, let's review it. We'll, we'll go through all it. the games, yeah. Uh, Cambridge-Salem, number two, goes up against Warriorsville, number seven. Yeah, Cambridge-Salem. <laughs> what about – what do you like about Cambridge uh, over the Warriorsville? What I like about Cambridge over Warriorsville is that it's Cambridge. Yeah, uh, yeah Voorheesville, to, to get serious for a second, Voorheesville, uh, I mean, they, they've had a nice year. They haven't beaten um, – they're, they're kind of similar to Scotia that we were talking about earlier where they haven't beaten one of these better teams yet. Um, and Cambridge-Salem is, is Cambridge-Salem, and they're going to be in the semifinals. Okay. Uh, lead number three seed, takes on Tamarack, number six. This is a, this is a fun one because Waterfleet hasn't allowed a point in a few weeks, and Tamarack is kind of sneaky good. Um, just had a nice win uh, this past week to close their season. They've been competitive in a lot of games. 
Um, that's a fun one that actually, I think I would take Tamarack. Um, but I, but it also, you know, Warvleet hasn't allowed a point in a few weeks. I just, I just think Tamarack is, is an impressive group that if you're looking for an upset, maybe in these playoffs, that might be where it comes from. And the four or five matchup as Fonda number four against Greenwich number five. Yeah. And the, these are the two teams that all year behind Stillwater and Cambridge kind of battled to figure out, you know, one of these teams is probably the third best team. Um, and, you know, at this point, it's really hard, you know, after, after we kind of got to a point where we thought Fonda was better than Greenwich, but then last week happens with Fonda not being very competitive at Stillwater. Um, I think I would take Fonda still in this game. Uh, I think they've played a tougher schedule than Greenwich, um, but this is one, it really could go either way. Especially Fonda coming off that loss. I mean, their confidence has to be a little down after uh, the getting beaten by uh, Stillwater the way they did. Yeah, I liked what they did, though, where they left they left their kids in in the second half. They let them score a touchdown in the second half, and then they got them out. Yep. So they got out healthy, and they also got out on – to whatever degree you were able to go out on a high note. They showed they could score against the Stillwater, you know, the number one defense, and then they got those kids out to start preparing for this week. Okay. But in Class AA, they don't start till the following week, uh, but uh, the top two seeds are set already Shaker and Shen. Yeah, Shaker number one, Shen number two, and this kind of becomes a uh, a quarterfinal week in a way. Um, the two key matchups, we got Gilliland versus CBA. We have Bethlehem versus Schenectady. Gilliland wins. They're the three seed. Uh, we're hoping to avoid chaos. Uh, <laughs> if you're, I guess I'll, I'll rephrase that. If you're hoping to avoid chaos, Root for Gilderland. <laughs> um, if Gilderland beats CBA, Bethlehem versus Schenectady essentially becomes a play-in game um, for, for that four seed. Um, so so we've got Shaker one, Shen two, and then those other four teams, two of them are going to make it and fill out that field. Class D playoffs, again, they don't start like Class AA until week nine next week, but the field there is set. Warrensburg top seed takes on uh, number four seed, Helderberg Valley, and one semifinal on Chatham number two will take on Whitehall. Right, and this was the uh, this was the field that we didn't know what the order would be, but we knew the four teams before the year. These are the only four <laughs> Class D eligible playoff teams, um, and, and we'll get to those uh, in week nine. Okay, and the final Power Football rankings appeared in Tuesday. We're done. Yeah, we're done. Yeah. <laughs> but they're also online at DailyGazette.com forever, so you can look back. Uh, our final Class AA uh, Power Rankings were Shaker, number one, Shen, two, Gildland, three, Bethlehem, four, CBA five, no change from the previous week. Yeah, this class for I think for the last few weeks has been solid one through five. There's been no reason to change anything. Uh, in Class A, Queensbury stayed at one. Troy and Boston Spa flipped spots. Troy to three to two. Boston Spa two to three. And there's Burn Hills and Averill Park. Yeah, and that one, uh, you know, the only we flip Boston Spa and Troy just kind of based on the coaching situation. You wonder how that affects them. Um, so we moved Troy up one. Um, but there's really, in my eyes, there's really nothing that separates the resumes between Troy and Boston Spa. Okay. Class B, Glens Falls, uh, number one, and Skylerville goes two, and Holy Trinity, uh, Glens Falls, Holy Trinity, Skylerville, Shaman, Cobble School? Right, yeah. So this yeah. one, we, we, we change it up yeah. a bit um, based off that Shalmont win against Holy Trinity. Um, it's kind of a jumble now. It, this is one, I think, one through four. You can pretty much go any order you want. Um, and then the fifth spot, it belongs to Cobleskill. Okay. Class C, uh, Stillwater stays one. Cambridge-Salem stays two. 
Uh, Greenwich moves up from four to three. Fonda goes from three to four, and Waterfleet stays at five. Yeah, so Fonda drops off the loss, um, and pretty much everything else stays the same. You know, that's another one we were kind of saying before. We're still watering Cambridge. Um, you know, those are one, two, and then we've been trying to figure out what's behind them. And finally, Class D, uh, no changes there. Warrensburg, Chatham, Whitehall, Corinth, Fort Edward, and Elderberg Valley. Yep. Yep, that's all I got on that one. I got, yeah, that class hasn't, I don't know if that one's changed all year. No, I don't I think, think it has. I think at one point, Chatham maybe moved up and down one at one point. That was it. So, all right, well, we'll have an exciting weekend coming up in high school football. And uh, you will uh, obviously follow our coverage online at dailygazette.com in print and our guys out in the field on Twitter. All right, Ken, thanks a lot. All right, thanks, Mike. It's uh, Mike Kelly. Coming up, I'll speak with Christy Ackert of the New York Daily News about the New York Yankees 2019 season. You're listening to the Parting Shots podcast, available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Subscribe today. Hi, this is Hunter Moffitt, founder and CEO of Trophy Case, the app created for athletes by athletes. Our app is a community connecting like-minded athletes, families, and sports affiliates for their specific needs. Positive form of social media designed for long-term success. We have a template for users to easily curate, track, record, and grow their statistics and social multimedia content in one digital profile. Create, connect, and promote your brand. Think Instagram for athletics. Notable Trophy Case team members include Dan Nolan, president and CEO of Hugh Johnson Advisors, owner of the Albany Empire, who says, Trophy Case is an innovative platform that has great potential for athletes. Nolan said, the feedback and experience brings value to athletes, parents, and sports affiliates in one network. I simply think of this as a combination of Instagram and LinkedIn for athletes. You can download the Trophy Case app at the Apple Store and Google Play. Send us your feedback. Trophy Case, the app created for athletes, by athletes. Get it today. Hi, this is Daily Gazette sports writer Mike McAdam. You're listening to the Parting Shots podcast with Daily Gazette associate sports editor Ken Schott. The call from Fox Sports is Joe Buck of Jose Altuve's dramatic American League Championship Series clinching two-run homer off New York Yankees closer Aroldis Chapman in the bottom of the ninth inning Saturday that gave the Astros a 6-4 victory in Game 6 and sending them to the World Series for the second time in three years. The homer suddenly ended the Yankees' incredible season, one that saw them deal with numerous injuries, a starting pitcher placed on administrative leave under MLB's domestic violence policy, but yet they still won over 100 games. Joining me now is the Yankees beat writer for the New York Daily News, Christy Ackert. Christy, uh, thanks for coming on the podcast. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Thank you very much for coming on. And uh, it was a tough way for the Yankees season to end uh, with that two-run homer, especially after they tied it up in the top of the ninth on DJ LeMahieu's uh, two-run homer. What was the clubhouse like afterwards? It it was very quiet. Um, You know, I've never actually seen anything like it. They let us in probably about 15 to 20 minutes after the game ended. And, you know, there were guys giving hugs to each other. Um, there was guys that still had shock on their face. Aaron Boone was walking around hugging players. Um, it was a pretty emotional and disappointed room. I mean, I don't mean – if a reporter, be you, you got to be going crazy with, with the, uh, you know, you want, you're writing one story, DJ LeMay ties up, you're writing another story, then you have to write the way that game ended. I mean, how tough was it for you 
uh, I've been in that situation many times, but you know, may tell our listeners what it's like, how crazy you have to, you know, especially that late, uh, you know, it was way past deadline at that point. Uh, I was looking at one last deadline. I have three deadlines and I was trying to hit my depth drop dead. Um, you know, I had two stories written or going and just waiting for the lead. Uh, I had a win story and a loss story gone, written and I just needed the lead on both of them. Um, I started to re- write the lead about DJ LeMayu and then uh, had to just drop that and go to the other story and write the Altuve lead. It, it's not fun, but it happens. <laughs> well, I don't know if you saw uh, Chapman's reaction after the Altuve's homer. It almost looked like he was smiling or maybe he was just in disbelief what happened. Uh, did Chapman address that at all afterwards? He said he was in shock. Um, you know, he said he was actually kind of annoyed that everybody on Twitter was focusing on it. He, um, he said he was in shock that he hit it. Yeah, I mean, I just, it almost looked like, like I said, I, I thought, I, I don't think, I knew he wasn't smiling and happy about the situation. It was just, it looks like, it did look like shocking. Just, you know, he got the first two outs of that inning and then, uh, seems to struggle to find the strike zone there. Yeah, well, he, I mean, that's not that unusual for him. Um, you know, we've seen him go through that a couple times this year. So, um, you know, I, I think there's a balance between keeping him healthy and keeping him sharp, and, and maybe they erred on the, the side of being too healthy rather than, you know, keeping him sharp. You know, as I mentioned in the open, the Yankees had a lot to deal with this season, but they won 103 games. I mean, how much credit should Aaron Boone get for the job he did? I think he did a really good job. Um, he, that clubhouse never really let down. Um, you know, they, they honestly believed the idea of next man up. You never saw, you know, frustration or, you know, you know, a, a sense of being beaten. He kept them focused and moving forward. I think he did a great job in terms, I mean, I think he's a really, really good um, manager of people. And um, I think you see that in the way that he relates to his players and the players relate to him. Yeah, my next question is like, if it leads into the fact, I think he is. A, he looks like a player's manager, seems like a player's manager. I mean, always has their back. I mean, that was, certainly was evident when he got tossed in that game in July against Tampa Bay, and he told home plate umpire Brendan Miller in no uncertain terms that his guys were, with some colorful language, savages. I mean, how did that argument set the tone for the second half of the season? I mean, it's, it's, it was a, I think it was a great motivator for the team, and I, to me it maybe even unified them even more. They seem to really rally around it. I mean, I think the thing that gets lost in that is, you know, he admitted that Brendan Miller was right on the call. He was just protecting Brett Gardner. He didn't want Brett Gardner to get thrown out. And that was, a, you know, a very veteran manager move. Um, you know, they embraced it. They, You know, they loved seeing him go out there and fight for them. Um, you know, he's got their back publicly. Um, you'll rarely see him say he's disappointed in a player or anything, which is, you know, I guess what they need in this market. And, um, you know, the savages in the box thing was, was a favorite in the clubhouse. That's for sure. I mean, you know, Aaron Boone came down from the broadcast with ESPN and really had no managerial experience yet. 
he seems like a veteran and knows what he's doing. Of course, you know, his, his dad, uh, Bob Boone, played a long time in Major League Baseball as a catcher. Obviously, his brother, Brett, played in uh, Major League Baseball. It just seems like he's a, a natural fit as a manager. Well, he's got good instincts for the game, and he's got good instincts for the people in the game. You know, it's, it's funny because he um, – I came over mid-season last year from covering the Mets, and, you know, there were two rookie managers, Mickey Calloway and um, Aaron Boone, and the difference is strike, is, was striking because Aaron Boone has the confidence and swagger of a man who knows he belongs in a major league clubhouse whereas Mickey Calloway was clearly one of those guys that was holding on. So there, there's something to, you know, that experience and that confidence that certainly translates. Yeah. Well, as far as the Yankees pitching goes, uh, you know, we're obviously we're in an age of analytics where starters are lucky to go six innings. We now have openers where reliever starts the game and uh, pitches an inning or two. I mean, how do you think he, uh, Boone handled the pitching staff? Um, you know, I think, you know, a lot has been made of the fact that, it, like Zach Britton said, that they were running on fumes. Well, you know, they lost E.C. Sabathia from that, that bullpen. They lost Domingo Herman from that bullpen. So I think they, he did the best he could in that. He has a quick trigger with the starting pitchers, which is, you know, I don't know if that's him so much as the analytics department. Um, I, you know, I think that's probably the weakness in his, his game. Um, but it's hard to criticize him for that when the analytics people set the rules and then don't come out and answer questions after a game. Mm-hmm. Uh, you mentioned Domingo Herman, who had was an 18-game winner up until you know, was, he was placed on administrative leave for an alleged domestic violence situation. How much not having him in the postseason uh, hurt the Yankees? Huge. I mean, he was. A great, I mean, he was a really good picture for them this year. At, at times, borderline great. I mean, he had his problems with wearing down, obviously, but he was a very, he was one of their most effective pitchers throughout the season. That's a huge blow. I mean, that would be like, you know, the Astros losing Zach Greinke right before the playoffs. That was huge. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned CeCe Zabathia, who's uh, retiring now. Tough way for him to go out there, getting hurt uh, there in in uh, the playoffs there, and it's just it's not the way you want to have your career end. You rather be able to to uh, you know be able to pitch out and get a couple innings and get a couple outs. But I think the fans really respect the job CC done had done over the years with the Yankees. Uh, just talk about his impact with the team, you know, being with that team since two thousand nine. Well, he you know he clearly had you know, the tone in the clubhouse and with this team, he's um, revered in that clubhouse. Uh, and, uh, you know, his legacy will, will go on with the younger players that just looked up to him so much. Aaron Boone is clearly headed to be a leader in this this organization. If they can sign him long-term, I imagine he'll be named a captain. Um, and, you know, he took a lot of his leadership role from learning from CeCe Sabathia. So, I mean, his... His legacy goes on, and, you know, he was such a big presence. It'll be interesting to see what it's like without him next year. you think uh, General Manager Brian Cashin, Cashman not acquiring a starting pitcher before the trade deadline ended up costing the Yankees? Probably, but I, 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 
I know a lot of people criticize him for that, but we don't really know what was out there. Mm -hmm. I don't think, I mean, maybe a Marcus Stroman would have helped them, but I don't see him being a huge difference maker in in the playoffs. Um, You know, I've covered the Mets, so I know the idea that Zach Wheeler and Noah Syndergaard were out there was, you know, they always are going to be out there and then they're always going to pull them back. Mm -hmm. So I'm not really sure what was out there for him. Um, Maybe as a Frankie, but they could have used starting pitching. Um, But it's hard to criticize on a trade when I don't necessarily know what was available. Right. One particular uh, pitcher I want to ask you about is Tommy Canley. He's from here up in the Capital Region, a Shaker High School graduate. He struggled for uh, part of most of last year. He was in the minors for a little bit, but he seemed to get uh, have a better year for most of this season. How did you see his year? But he had a great year. Um, I mean, he, he definitely had a, a breakout year. He, he, if you watch those playoff games, he moved into a position of trust that you know Aaron Boone went past Adam Adamino for Tommy Canley in the last two games. So. You know, he set himself up very nicely for next year, but he had a, he had an outstanding season. Well, let's look ahead to the uh, 2020 season. Uh, what do the Yankees need to do to reach the World Series for the first time since 2009? Um, well, first of all, they need to get healthy and stay healthy. Um, you know, they have a lot of decisions to make. What do you do with Gio Urshela and Miguel Andujar? Um, what do you do about Didi Gregorius and, you know, do you move Glaver Torres to shortstop? Um, you know, obviously everybody's going to say, go get Garrett Cole. But again, people need to be aware that the Yankees can throw as much money as they want at someone. If someone's not going to come here, someone's not going to come here. Um, I would like to see them get more starting pitching. Obviously, they don't have the depth in their in their system, um, so they need more. Um, even if it's starting pitching is kind of, you know, not the same definition that it was years ago. You can put a Domingo Herman in the bullpen. You, you know, you can move them back and forth. You can use an opener, and they did use an opener successfully. Um, but I'd like to see you know, a, a healthy team. I mean, not having Severino for most of the season, that affected them down the, the stretch, you know, in terms of workload. Um, not having Dylan Batances affected them. Not having Miguel Andujar affected them. So um, I, I think the first thing you're going to hear and see is that they shake up their medical and rehab department. That's good. That would be interesting to see that. I mean, it seems like other, you know, I know the Phillies recently fired their trainer so it's just like maybe i mean to me i'd say like these guys train year-round now maybe year-round training has an effect on these guys i think there's probably something to that um you know and i I also think that you know there has to be some accountability by the players because you know they're the ones that ultimately are responsible for this but um you know you had two guys that strained their lats during rehab assignments. You know, something has to be looked at and changed. Um, I think that's what you're going to see. I mean, I covered the Mets in 2017 when they went through a rash of injuries, and the first thing that happened in the offseason is they changed the medical 
department. So I, I have a feeling that's what we're going to see. Well, we're taping this podcast on uh, this portion of the podcast on Tuesday. The World Series will be is underway uh, when we post the podcast later this week. Astros and Washington Nationals. Uh, who do you like in this series? Um, you know, it's very hard for me to say. I mean, we saw the Nationals um, before opening day. We there was the Yankees stopped in Washington on the way back from Tampa to do an exhibition game, and I've seen them, of course, here and there on TV when they play the Mets or something. Um, you know, if any team has the starting pitching to go up against the Astros, it's certainly the Nationals. Um, you know, I like their their starters. It'll be interesting to see how they do. But, the, you know, that's just one thing going from the National League to the American League this year full-time is, um, you know, these offenses in the American League are very dangerous. So I have to say that I would think the Astros are – pretty heavy favorite yeah. well Christy where can people find you on Twitter uh, I'm at by Christy Ackert um, K-R-I-S-T-I-E-A-C-K-E-R-T well give my buddy Pat Leonard my best uh, Pat and I I mentioned in my email we went to the same high school together a few years apart I'm a 1981 graduate so I'm an old guy up here <laughs> well I'm, um, I, I won't hold that against you but um, <laughs> Uh, you're not a you're not that old of a guy, and I'm from upstate New York, so I'm oh. happy to hear that. We're part of our uh, what part? What part of our upstate New York? I'm from Oneida. Okay, okay, that's uh, I've, I've probably driven through there once in my college hockey travel. So, uh, but it's good to know, and I appreciate you coming on the podcast. And uh, now we'll maybe talk next year when spring training rolls around. Absolutely. Give me any time. All right. Thank you, Chris. I appreciate that. That's Chris Yackert of the New York Daily News. Up next, I speak with Union College senior linebacker Evan Gillen. You're listening to the Parting Shots podcast, available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Subscribe today. Hey, pro football fans. It's time again to match wits with other pro football fans and win a prize by playing the Daily Gazette's You Pick 'em football game, sponsored by River Sportsbook. To play, Go to dailygazette.com slash football and make your picks before the first game kicks off each week. If you have the most weekly points, you earn a $100 gift card to ShopRite. Play every week and you can win the grand prize of $1,000. Play the Daily Gazette's You Pick em Football game, sponsored by River Sportsbook at dailygazette.com slash football. Hi, this is Albany football coach Greg Atuso. You're listening to the Parting Shots podcast with Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor, Ken Schott. Welcome back to the Parting Shots Podcast. The Union College football team is having a great season. The Dutchmen are tied for first with Ithaca in the Liberty League with a 3-0 record. Overall, Union is 6-0. The Dutchmen are on the road for the next two weeks, going to Buffalo State this Saturday and then to Ithaca next Saturday. My next guest is a senior linebacker for the Dutchmen. He has 16 solo tackles and has assisted on 18 others. He had a two-interception game against Hobart earlier this month and returned one of those picks for a 54-yard touchdown. Here is Evan Gilland. Evan, thanks for coming on the podcast. Yeah, my pleasure. 
Guys are 6-0 heading into a you know, tough schedule, tough you know, with the uh, road trip coming out to Buffalo State this Saturday and Ithaca next Saturday. What, what's the feeling of this team right now? You're coming off the win against St. Lawrence. Uh, what is the feeling right now with this team? Yeah, so um, 6-0, it's definitely a great feeling, but we still feel as if there's a lot more to be proved. Um, you know, we're not really satisfied with how we are right now. I mean, 6-0 is, is amazing, uh, but... You know, we still feel as if there's more that we can do as a team, as a collective unit. And, you know, we feel as if, you know, um, there's just much more to be proved in how we're playing, um, especially last week. You know, we had a shaky first half, but we really, uh, you know, pulled it in together at halftime. Uh, we're collected as a group and uh, just, you know, figured out what we needed to do as a team. And, uh, you know, we just need to keep working throughout that and not have that experience where, you know, shaky first half, but we want to come out on top the whole game. So, you know, it's a good feeling, but we still feel like we have to uh, work together as a team to uh, really uh, attack all of our goals. There was a lot of talk last week after you guys got in the uh, coaches' poll, you know, 24th this week, 25th of last week. And guys embraced it last week, but, but maybe th- was that end up being a little bit of distraction going into the St. Lawrence game? I wouldn't say it was much of a distraction. Um, you know, it was it was definitely humbling and, and, you know, awesome to hear that we were nationally ranked for the first time in, what, like 10, 10 plus years. But, um, it was, you know, it was a great feeling. But, you know, that being said, as I said in, in another interview, you know, rankings, it's just a number. You know, what you do on the field is, is completely different from how you're perceived uh, by other people. You know, uh, for example, we played some ranked teams in the past that we beat and you know I feel like sometimes it's kind of a distraction for some teams you know they think that they're uh, you know better than they actually are with just how other people are perceiving them but you know I think that it's you know motivating towards you know our team and how we're gonna you know attack the rest of the season so. What has been the key this season for this team did you expect at this point of the season to be undefeated? I did personally um, you know the biggest thing for our team this year is that everyone kind of has the same mindset. Um, everyone has the same goals. We want to be an undefeated team, you know, once we've played all of our games, not just 6-0. and You know, we still have so many more games. Um, but that being said, you know, I really think that this team has a lot of potential. We have a great group of guys this year. We have great chemistry, and I think that, you know, in the future, we're going to be able to accomplish a lot more than just being 6-0. and you were here at the start of Coach Jeff Behrman's uh, tenure here. You guys, you know, come off the team had the previous year had come off the 0 and 10 season. What have you seen in the four years you've been here? Have you have you seen this program go from a winless program to ranked and, and lead and tied for the league in the the Liberty League lead? Yeah, so it was my first year that it was actually uh, Coach Behrman's first year as well. But, in, you know, in my four years here, I've seen a tremendous change of culture. Um, you know, even though freshman year, I still think that, you know, the guys had a great mindset. But, you know, now I feel like, you know, it's everyone that's bought in, you know, 100% of the team. Whereas freshman year, it was a lot less than that. You know, some guys had, you know, different goals or not everyone was on the same page. But, you know, this year and the past few years, there's just been a huge change in culture. And, you know, everyone's kind of on the same page now on the same boat. You know, we all want the same thing, which is great. And that's, you know, just to go undefeated and go to the Stag Bowl. So, you know, it's it's great seeing that coaches made a great impact on not only the players, but our our own ability to, you know, motivate and influence each other. So when you were recruited here, I mean, you knew the program was a winless program at that time. But uh, what made you to say, look, I want to come here. I want to help change the culture. Yeah. I mean, you could look at an 0-10 team in, in two ways. You could say, you know, like, oh, it's, you know, you know, uh, 
they're not going anywhere. So like, what's the point of joining a team like that? Or you could be, you know, hey, I want to be a part of the uh, the, the team and, and the the history that changes it around and brings it back to where we used to be. And um, you know, I I had that second mindset, and you know, everyone else on this team does. And because of that, we were able to turn around the way we did. And you know, being seven and two last year, seven and three the year before, you know, it just represents you know that change of culture and, and just how you know bought in these guys are. So I think that is just you know great in the past four years, um, just complete turnaround. And you know, it's it's awesome to be a part of that. Talk about the defense. What's make has made it so uh, difficult to score against this year? Um, against us. Are you saying what, what's well, makes, what, what, what makes your defense yeah, tough? I think everyone just flies around. You know, all 11 guys out there on the field, they just, you know, even when I'm playing, I can tell that everyone is just going 100% every single play. You know, we swarm to the ball. Um, even if it's on the other side of the field, you know, guys on the on the right side of fields to the left, they're all just sprinting as fast as they can, trying to make that play, trying to be a part of the play. Um, and I think that's just one of our strengths. Uh, one of our many strengths on the defense, we just have a bunch of guys who are physical, who are fast, you know, high in, high energy, high intensity throughout the whole game, and that's just really something you need to be a uh, uh, a really great defense. Coming up now, you have Buffalo State this Saturday, and then Ithaca next Saturday, the team you're tied with for the Liberty League League. Buffalo State just won its first game last Saturday. How important is it to not overlook Buffalo State, a new team in the league, when you know Ithaca's uh, coming up next week. Yeah, so uh, our, our mindset is, is one game at a time, you know, one week at a time, just got to get through that progress. Um, so, you know, we've never played Buffalo State before, so you can't take anything for granted. You know, we don't have that experience on the field with them like we did with these other teams so far. But, um, you know, one game at a time, one day at a time, uh, we're just going to have the same process and uh, same progression throughout the week that we had for every other team. You know, you can't just be so focused on Ithaca that, you know, Buffalo State comes and you're distracted because of that. So, we got to prepare and do everything we've done with uh, Buffalo State that we have done in the past and just make sure that we're really totally 100% ready for them. Is it even more important to be well prepared for Buffalo State because it's on the road? Yeah, yeah. Being on the road is, is definitely another factor. Um, you know, you're not sleeping in the same bed that you're used to at home. Uh, you got to be on the bus for a certain amount of hours before. But, you know, it just uh, really emphasizes all of the uh, progress and things that you need to take into account before an away game. You know, you got to have that early practice in the day. You got to pack your bag, make sure you get all your schoolwork done before you hit the bus, um, or you could just do it on the bus. But, um, you know, it being an away game definitely uh, has its own uh, difficulties. But I think, you know, just like every other week, we're going to do the right uh, preparation and, you know, get through it. You want to keep their fans quiet, obviously, in Buffalo State. You don't want them to get any kind of uh, hope and emotion. No, I mean, it is their, I believe it's their homecoming. But, um, you know, I, I like that. I uh, Personally, I, I see that as an opportunity to, uh, you know, get a little upset going. Because, you know, my sophomore year, two years ago, we played uh, Morrisville. And, you know, it was their homecoming as well. And you could tell that it was electric in the stands. And it's, you know, a great feeling to kind of silence them when everyone's there and watching their home, home homecoming and uh, their team play and everything. So... Yeah. Well, well, good luck this week, uh, Evan. And uh, you know, if you come out seven zero, you'll be looking good to go for Ithaca next uh, next Saturday. Thank you, I appreciate it very much. That's Evan Gillen. Back to wrap up the Parting Shots podcast, available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify in just a moment.
Hi, this is Daily Gazette News columnist Sarah Foss. Once again, I'll be going head-to-head with Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Schott with my weekly NFL picks and defending my championship. Go to dailygazette.com slash blogs and look for my picks on my Thinking It Through blog. You can find Ken's picks at dailygazette.com slash sports. Back to wrap up the podcast, and as Sarah said, look for her NFL picks along with mine at dailygazette.com. Sarah started to make a comeback. She has sliced my lead to three games as she went 10-4 in Week 7, while I was 9-5. and I'm 66-39-1. Sarah is 63-42-1. Also, look for my blogs on NFL and college football TV covers this week. You can find it at dailygazette.com slash sports slash parting shots. If you're a college hockey fan, look for my weekly ECAC hockey faceoff selections at dailygazette.com slash sports slash parting shots. You can participate in the faceoff selections by emailing your picks to me at shot, that's S-C-H-O-T-T, at dailygazette.com. Union hockey beat writer Mike McGannon joins me on the next Parting Shots podcast that will be posted Friday. It's the opening of ECAC hockey play against Capital Region rival RPI. We'll discuss the series and have interviews from both sides. If you have questions about Union Hockey or this series coming up, Mike and I will answer them. Send your questions to shot at dailygazette.com. That wraps up another edition of the Parting Shots podcast. I'd like to thank my guest, Gazette Sports Editor Mike Kelly, Christy Ackert of the New York Daily News, and Union College Football Senior Linebacker Evan Gillen. The Parting Shots podcast is brought to you by Trophy Case, the app created for athletes, by athletes. Download it today. Available for iOS and Android users in your app store. The Parting Shots podcast is available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Subscribe today. If you have questions or comments about the podcast, email them to me at shots at dailygazette.com. You can follow me on social media at Slapshots, both on Twitter and Instagram. The views expressed in the Parting Shots podcast are not necessarily those of Gazette newspapers. The Party Shots podcast is a production of Gazette Newspapers. I'm Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Schott. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you next time. Good day, good sports.